Shalom. You know, Judaism is a very exciting way of life. And in that way of life, there are experiences that we have and rituals that we have which cover us from literally from birth until death. And those are very important parts of the life of a Jew. Today we're going to be talking about one event, which is perhaps the first event in life that we all experience, and something that is such a beautiful part of the Jewish practices. It's the ritual of circumcision, which is called in Hebrew Mila. We have with us one of the renowned Moyolim, or ritual circumcisers, in the United States and located here in New York, and that is Rabbi Pesach Kron. Rabbi Kron, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Well, we're looking forward to an interesting half hour. Now, let's start off by telling us something about your own background, because I understand that you're a fifth-generation Moyo, which means that you can directly date back your own line, not only five generations, probably more than that, but at least as far as circumcisers in your family, that's quite an accomplishment. Well... I was really very fortunate to, born, to be born into this type of family. My grandfather was basically a male in the McKeesport, Scranton, Pennsylvania area. Okay. And my father, uh, blessed memory, he learned Mila from him. He learned how to be a male from his father. And my grandfather and father always told me that I should learn Mila, and then I would have the choice whether I wanted to be a male or not. Right. But... Unfortunately, so you had your, who, who do you right. apprentice with? Uh, basically, my father. Really? But unfortunately, I became uh, a male in very tragic circumstances. My father was only 47, and he realized that he unfortunately had cancer. Oh, I'm sorry and to hear uh, he realized that if I did not become a male immediately under his guidance, right. then he would never have the opportunity to teach me. And uh, I was only 21 at the time, and I started going with him full-time. I had to leave the yeshiva. I practiced in hospitals. I had training in hospitals. But basically, he was my main mentor. Interesting. And uh, as of January 66, I went with him every day. But as of June 66, he no longer could do it. And as a 21-year-old um, I guess it's almost a child. I mean, today, at that time, I didn't think I was so young, but I look back today and I think, my goodness, how's, how, why would anybody take a 21-year-old kid as a moil? As a matter of fact, many times what would happen, I would walk into a house after that and uh, they would take a look at me and they say, Rabbi, you're so young. And I said, well, the baby's also young. So, <laughs> you can relate really well. <laughs> right. So it, it, it was quite an adjustment for many people who, uh, who always saw an older moil. As a matter of fact, right. when I was uh, certified by the New York Grismila Board as a moil, to be able to perform bristles in hospitals, I was the youngest male that was ever certified. Now you're certified in a couple of hospitals right here oh, in Long yes, Island. Oh yes, right. Also. I'm on staff at Long Island Jewish and uh, North Shore uh, Booth Memorial when it was called Booth Memorial. Right. So you've been doing this for quite a few years. Yes, I've been doing it since 1966. Now, I've been to a couple of your also. I know right. you always make it very lively and very interesting and very educational as well. Right. Now, I, I, I try to make it dignified, but to keep it light. I, you know, there are some that are performers. I, I don't think that's the right way so to go. So let's get down to a little bit of the meaning of a bris. What right. is this mila? Mila of course in Hebrew means circumcision a moil is a circumciser right now, bris what is, is a covenant meaning? bris is Good. a covenant okay. and really this started the Torah tells us that this was a covenant between God and Abraham and God said to Abraham when he was already 99 years old that he should circumcise himself and it was only after he was circumcised that he was able to father a child and the child that he fathered was the next patriarch that was Isaac and once Isaac was born God said to him that on the eighth day of life I want you to circumcise your son Isaac. Right. So technically, the father is the, really the one that's supposed to do the bris, except that he appoints the male 
thank goodness, to do it for him because obviously not every father is capable of doing it. But if a father is capable, really it's his obligation to do the bris. And this is the prayer that I have the fathers read to appoint me as a proxy to do the bris. Now, if you read it, you'll see it's a very moving... I am prepared beautiful. to fulfill the divine commandment of ritual circumcision. Presently, my son will be brought into the covenant of Abraham, as it is written in the Torah, at eight days shall every male be circumcised unto you for your generations. It shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. You know, I, oh, and then I appoint them oil. I want to just talk about this at one point over here also. This idea of a covenant is such a unique thing that the Jewish people have. I don't know if there's any other religion that has a covenant, especially a covenant that is literally marked into the flesh of the human being. Right. Not as a tattoo or anything, but as a very special mark of, of what it means to be connected. And it's very, very... Um, I think people are very curious about the fact that this covenant is made through the type of, uh, of limb of the body that it is made with. Right. Well, if this is the part of the body that is able to bring a soul from the, from the heavens. This is the part of the body that ensures our continuity. And that's why it was... God said that it should be on this part of the body because, in a sense, this is the part of the body that can be the holiest, but it can, be, it can bring us to the lowest level of immorality. And because this challenge is right here at this part of the body, God ordained that it should be um, a sign of holiness, a sign of future generations. Interesting. And that's why the father does this to his child because then the child will continue for the future. And so this is a symbol of connecting to the future, but the ceremony also has a lot of things that connect to the past. Yeah, I and, just want to answer yes. one other thing also with that, because I heard a very interesting explanation as well as why it's specifically there where the covenant is made. That is that the uh, purpose of a Jew to a certain degree is to bring God down into this world, is right. to make a dwelling place for God into this world, to sanctify the world, to be able to make the world a place of holiness. As a result, it's necessary to draw from the very, very first moment that the child comes into this world to draw to God's presence in, even into the most mundane and basic aspects of a human's existence. Exactly. And in that sense, the child is really starting with having an understanding of that purpose, not an understanding intellectually, of course, at that age, but getting a connection to that sense of purpose from the very beginning. Right. And then there's another interesting question, which I'm sure you've heard, is if God wanted us circumcised, why didn't he make us circumcised? Right, that's, that's a question that I address in the book that I wrote. That is a very, very good question. Which happens to be a great book. Anybody who's interested in uh, knowing more about Mila, can we get a shot of this book over here? It's really a wonderful book, which is considered to be like the, the book on the subject. Uh, written by uh, Rabbi Pesach Krohn, and I think it's uh, worth picking up. Anybody can get it from many local Jewish bookstore, and I know you give them out, I believe, also That's when you right, do it. That's I send them to the family. I'll tell you right. something very interesting before we get back to yes, that question. Yes, go on. Um, I, uh, when this was published by Art Scroll, so what I would do in the beginning is that I would bring it to the bris and I would give it to the parents as a gift at the bris. And one time I had a bris, I'll never forget, it was the holiday of Shavuos. Now, technically you can carry on a holiday, but you can't right. carry on a Shabbos. But being that I was going to walk, because I don't drive obviously on the holidays or on, on Shabbos, so I brought everything, I brought my instruments and I brought the book the day before right. the bris and I gave it to the parents. The next day when I came to the bris, the father said to me, Rabbi, the book has changed my whole approach to this ceremony. Really? Now I understand the significance, why we have candles at a bris. I understand why we do the bris, why we give a name at the bris. Right. And then it occurred to me, wait a second, he's got an idea. I shouldn't give the bris, the book at the bris. It's too late. Right. So now the moment somebody calls me, I have it sent to them. UPS brings it the next day Great. to their That's home. They have and they're able to read it and they have exactly. an appreciation. They know what honors okay. are going to be. And it, it, it's really a, now, a great thing. Now, I want to hear thing. your explanation of that question. 
about why God didn't make us perfect in the first right. place. Right, and the answer is because God wants us to perfect ourselves. Uh-huh. We are brought right. into this Very world important. only up to a point. And that's why the same thing is clothes, the clothes that we wear. We have to perfect it. God gives us only a certain amount of equipment to work with, and we have to perfect it. Right. And that's the lesson right at the beginning of child rearing, that you have this child, and you have to perfect this child. Right. And that and life in general is exactly. imperfect, but it's for up to us to right. try to, to perfect, perfect it. it. And that's the symbol of the birth. And that's why, in the Torah, it's interesting that you should say that, God's, when God said to Abraham that he should be circumcised, he said, His samim. Go before me and become perfect. Now now you will be perfect. You have lived a life. You have lived a charitable life, a kind life. You invited everybody to your home, and every your home. We, as we know by tradition, he lived in a tent, and it was open on all four sides, and people were able to come. But still, that wasn't perfection. Perfection was when, on the body, on the human body, you see the sign of the covenant. To always remind him that he was right. a Jew. Now let's talk another about another aspect of the bris, of course, which is a very meaningful, very symbolic. We know that a young girl, when they're born, is given a name at the immediately. Perhaps perhaps at the time that the Torah is read in the synagogue and given this name in a, in a very nice crowd with a big celebration. And of course, also the name is given to a baby boy at the time of the bris. Of the bris right. What is the significance of a Jewish the, name? The significance, it's so important. I always tell people that the Talmud tells us, Shema Gorim, a name has an influence. And that's one of the most important decisions that people make, the name that they're going to give to their child. That's why we name after good people. We name after people who are accomplished. But and God, doesn't it also say that an, a parent has the power of prophecy when they give the name That's itself? That's exactly right. The, the Arizal writes that when people give a child a name, they don't the even realize, a Hebrew name, that they will be able to, if they understand the significance of the name in a way they could foretell the child's future. And when you look back at a person, a person's life, you'll see so much about his name that was able to foretell to talk about his name. Yitzchak is a name of laughter and happiness. Chaim is long life. There are names that symbolize strength. Aryeh is a lion which symbolizes strength. And that's why we try to give those kind of positive names. If right. a child is born near Yom Kippur, we give him the name Rachamim, which means compassion. Or sometimes we'll give, the, the Torah writes that Noah was given the name Noah because it was hope, hopeful, the hope was that he would make life easy for everyone in the future. Right. Sarah was given the name Sarah because she was a princess. Now, there are a couple of misunderstandings I think that people have concerning the giving of the name. Number one, very often people think that the English name and the Hebrew name somehow are related to each other or have to be connected to each other in the same way. Which no, of it's course just is a not... matter of convenience. Right, but really, exactly. a boy that has the name Avraham in Hebrew doesn't have to be Abraham in English. He right. could be Alan, he could be uh, um, Austin, he could have any name that he likes. Right, exactly. But, and and he no can even have a different letter. No correlation but it's just two. that it's convenient for the child if he has a right. name with an A to have a Hebrew name that corresponds. And, the same right. thing, and uh, also, of course, way. a very common custom, which is that the Sephardim name after those that are the living, living, but the right. Ashkenaz name very often after those that are already oh, passed, passed on, on to the world to come. or an uncle or somebody that right. was a dear member now, of the Let's family. get on to another custom that we have during the bris itself, because, uh, of course, it's a, a ceremony which is filled with a oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful custom. Beautiful. It's very, very meaningful. As very as very just let me just say one thing Please, which, I, which I do, which I have found to be so moving and so meaningful. I usually tell the families that what they should do is write out a paragraph about the person who the child is being named for. Very nice. And it is so moving. Many people are crying because most of the people knew the people who right. are being named for, a right. grandfather, an uncle, a beloved grandmother, or whatever. And it, it brings out 
To me, I learned a lesson about parenting once I started doing this because then you see what really affects a child. And most of the time, it's not the gifts that they got, but the time that people spent with these young parents when they were children. The time, the encouragement, uh, the, the, the love that they had. And, right. and that, that's really why people name uh, after grandparents or uncles or aunts that were so close to them. Especially if the name is kept a secret until the actual time That's of right. the announcement. Then That's it's a very right. emotional time for oh, everybody in the is, family. It is the most emotional time of the bris, really. Right. So very another beautiful. custom that we have, of course, is the custom that says that Elijah the prophet actually comes to every single bris. In fact, right. I noticed on the front page of your book, front uh-huh. cover of the book, mm-hmm. you have a picture of Elijah's chair, right. which of course is, a, is really a part of the ceremony That's that the baby right. is first placed on right. Elijah's chair as if right. Elijah himself right. would be sitting there and then taken off and put on and, to and the just to add a, a little sidebar yes. to that, there are only two times a year throughout the Jewish year that we make reference to Elijah. One is at the bris, and one is at the Pesach Seder. And my name is Pesach, and I'm a male, so it's the, <laughs> <laughs> I always feel I have some sort of connection to Elijah the prophet. But the idea is that Elijah is the one that's going to herald and tell us when the Messiah is going to come. Right. And in the prophets, it tells us that there was a time when certain Jewish people did not perform the bris. They were afraid. Um, maybe they were afraid of looking different. And they did not perform this bris. And Elijah complained to God and said, how could a segment of your Jewish people not perform this holy mitzvah? So God said, because you stood up for this mitzvah, you will always be present. You will see that the Jewish people do perform this brisk. You know, you're bringing up an interesting point, which I want to deal with a little bit, because it is something that's talked about in the newspapers, on television. I've seen it covered, and, uh, and also have had discussions about mm-hmm. it. And that is the hesitancy that some people have, that they don't want to have a brisk, or they right. don't want to have a moil. They just want to, if they're going to do it at all, they're going to do it in a hospital. How do you talk to a person and try to encourage them specifically to do it in a traditional manner? So I tell them this way, that not one reference any place, not in the Torah, not in the Talmud, not in the Medrash, does it say any place that we do a bris for a medical benefit. We do it as a ritual. That's why many people who are not religious, who are doing it for a medical Right, benefit yeah. because they feel that it removed cancer from that area and it helped uh, in many, many different health-related ways. So, of course, if they're not religious and they're looking only for the medical benefit and some then say, well, it's not such a medical benefit, it doesn't really make a difference, so therefore then they do away with it. That's why I feel it's so important that not to call a doctor to do a bris. A doctor who is a male is sending a wrong message. Rabbi Tendler, Rabbi Moshe Tendler, who is a brilliant Talmudic philosopher and teacher in Yeshiva University and is also a professor of medicine, he will not allow a doctor to do a bris in his synagogue, even if the doctor is an orthodox fellow, because that sends the wrong message. We don't do it for a medical benefit. It happens to be a medical benefit. And for a while, the American Academy of Pediatrics was wavering whether it was a benefit or not, but now they're going back to it. And they say that it definitely is. It re, it, 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 re, it makes sure that there will not be infections, that there will not be uh, not only cancers, but uh, all, all kinds of kidney or urological problems. Really? Right, are, are removed when, when a child is circumcised. But it's a ritual. We do it as a ritual. That's why they should get a rabbi or a moil, but, but not the doctor. Interesting. Rabbi Kern, I'm sure you have some interesting stories that maybe you could share with us about your travels. You travel probably internationally. I'm sure you uh, Well, I'll tell you, place. I've had, uh, obviously, most communities have a moil, but I've had the opportunity to be in, in Puerto Rico. By the way, the, the nicest thing in Puerto Rico, do you know how they say mazel tov over there? How? Mucho nachas. <laughs> That's how they say they're Mazel Tov in Puerto Rico. But I had a Brits once in Bermuda. This fellow was working for the fellow who made the movie Saturday Night Live. And uh, somehow he had the, the, uh, one, the director of the film 
um, had some sort of a mansion in Bermuda, and this guy was working for him. He had a boy, and he was stuck in Bermuda, Nebuch. I guess if you've got to be stuck in a place, it's not a bad place to be stuck. So I went there to do a bris. And, of course, I've had the opportunity to do uh, bris in Eretz Yisrael in Israel. My own grandson had a, my, I have a son. I have two sons now who live in Jerusalem. So uh, when uh, my oldest son had a little boy, that bris was in Jerusalem. That's, that's very special. Have you ever done a bris on an older Russian person? Somebody yes. Oh, who's those are very, out? very Tell moving. me about it. Yes. It must be a tremendous uh, yeah, experience. It, it is because a, it is a they're coming out with such a desire experience. and a drive to be able to be connected with it this. It is so group. incredible. I never forget the one time in New Haven, Connecticut, um, I was called by a rabbi, Rabbi Feldman, and it seems that there was a boy in the school who had come from Russia. It was a young boy, maybe 10, 11 years old. And they were learning in Bereshus, in Genesis, about the portion of uh, God saying to Abraham that he should be circumcised. And this boy came home to his father and he said, Dad, what does it mean to be circumcised? And the father was afraid to tell him because he knew that he was not able to circumcise his child when he was in Russia. And he came back to the teacher, to the Rebbe the next day, and he said, Rebbe, tell me exactly, what does it mean to be circumcised? And they went through the whole discussion, and the boy realized that he wasn't circumcised. And he said, if I am in a free country, I would like to have a bris. And he came home and he told his father. His father didn't believe it, that this son wants to have a bris. He's going to do it at, at 11 years old at his own free will. So I remember we came, and of course, 11-year-old boy, you want to do it in the hospital with an anesthetic, a general anesthetic. That's the best way to do it for that age boy. And I remember there was a glass partition where the father was able to stay on the other side, and he watched as we were doing it. I was doing it together with the doctor. And as he made the blessing, I will never forget this because we had a little microphone. As he made the blessing, to bring this child into the covenant of Abraham. He was so overcome, he fainted. Really? Everybody left the kid. They were working on the father. But, uh, the, Fortunately, he was in the hospital. Right, that's right. That's right. But the idea was that here in, in, in the United States, many times we take it for granted. And right. there's a beautiful story that I once heard. And, and I, I've t- I, I remember I once had a bris in White Plains. And Rabbi Turetsky, he had just come back from Russia. And he told a story of how he was at a bris in Russia in secret. Before it was open that you could go the way you do everything today in Russia, right. you can go without a problem. And he said that he was telling the people, they were in a, in a basement someplace, and he was telling them such a beautiful thing. He, he, they spoke Yiddish, and he spoke Yiddish. So he wanted to tell them the significance of the prayer. So he said, at the end of the prayer, at the end of the bris, we all say this prayer. Right. As a matter of fact, that's what I have on the cover of the book. Just as we've entered the child into, into the, the bris, bris, so we want to be able to enter him to the study of Torah, the canopy, and good deeds. And that's thinking ahead. That's thinking ahead, right. So uh, the people said to him in Yiddish, Rebbe, you cursed us. He said, I cursed you. This is the most beautiful blessing. He said, you said the way we did this in secret and in hiding and worried about ah, the police, that's how we should do Torah, study Torah and chuppah and, and good deeds. And he said he realized then the beauty of America, the beauty of a free country, and that when we say this prayer at a bris, we should be thankful to God that we live in such a country that we can have a bris, that we can right. have schools, that we can have a chuppah with great celebration and with great feeling of emotion, public emotion at times. Right. And, and that's what we should never take that for granted. Right. I just want to point out also for our audience here, if we can get a shot of some of these yarmulkes, you have some... Uh <laughs> Very cute yarmulkes here, which uh, yeah, I guess you give these out to the babies. Yes, what happens is that, you see, my father, Shalom, this was his idea. You get a shot of those? That uh, he, he had some yarmulkes that he brought back from Israel. 
So and, this is uh, a, this and this is, a, is when I do a Brits in Manhattan. I, yeah. I like to uh, show the uh, give the I love New York yarmulke. Yeah. And uh, when uh, I see that there's a Met fan, so Met we fan. give them the Met colors. And if somebody's using an Irish name for their child, like Sean or right. Dylan, so I give them the green one. And <laughs> then on Hanukkah, we have the uh, Hanukkah yarmulke so, here. Uh, I see you had a little bit of an, <laughs> yeah. an interesting Dutch. An interesting Dutch, right. right and, and the most popular yarmulke of all was in 1976 when I gave the red, white, and blue, the bicentennial. That was <laughs> that went over best. Now here also you have of course a certificate that was received on the, the, uh, the occasion of the bris and, and of course uh, this is something naming. that uh, anybody who would like to call me or many doctors have this in their offices it's called if it's a boy and uh, what it is is information you would be surprised how many people call me today that they're expecting a baby and they know that it's a boy and they want to plan they know exactly when the baby's going to be born mm-hmm. especially if it's a cesarean but uh, so they want to almost plan it to the day so I prepared this little pamphlet Good. that explains the basic laws uh, I was once written up in the New York Times the Long Island section so this is an article about uh, my carrying on the ancient ritual uh, this is um, an article about myself I right. had the opportunity to do triplets twice really three times actually that must have been exciting and, uh, yeah this was uh, this was really very nice, a great picture. And uh, so like this, they can learn something about the name, well, about so the know, significance. The fact is that the education is so important. To be able to let people know, because so right. there are so many misconceptions when it oh. comes to something like this. And so many different rumors flying around. Right. And it's important just to let people know it's done very, very medically. I mean, everything is to the T to the as far as right. and it's, Steril uh, anything, sterilization and, right. and everything you right. can possibly imagine. And there's really no risk at all. Of course, the hardest part is what? Is very often just hearing the baby cry, right, which takes how long? Uh, Five seconds? Not only that, but you know, the baby starts crying as soon as you begin to hold them. But what you said about the education, let me tell you something that struck me very much. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to be in Israel, and I went to the Ma'ar Samach the cave of the patriarchs. And you know that Abraham is buried there, and Isaac and Sarah, and of course, uh, uh, Isaac and, and Jacob, you know, with the wives. And um, <coughs> I remember praying at Jacob. And, you know, I, I, I felt moved, and I prayed at Isaac's uh, tomb, and I felt moved. But by Abraham, I was so moved. I, I just started crying. I was so overwhelmed. And the reason was because he was the first moil. Right. And, and, but not only that, he was the one that encouraged people to understand about God. And the Talmud tells us that he encouraged, he brought the men to Judaism, and, and Sarah, his wife, brought the women to Judaism. Right. In other words, they were the first cure of professionals, if you want to call it that. And... From that, I understood that that's what the idea of the bris is. A mile, when he comes to a bris, is not just doing the bris. It's an opportunity to teach. And that's why I try to explain, to tell a little bit about the background, to explain about the name, and to keep it light, but to be informative, to use this as a teaching experience. Because for many people, this is the first religious occasion that they are experiencing since their wedding or since they went to Talmud Torah in day school. So... I always use the, the bris as a teaching experience. Right. Any other experiences you could share with us? You said, mentioned something before about the Titanic. Well, I, 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 I must tell you, this is a, a great story. Okay. Uh, this is, I, I, and people may not believe this, so I'll tell you exactly where you can look it up. Because okay. this is I'm, absolutely regarded. If it has to do with the Titanic, I'm interested. Right. Listen to this. There, on the Titanic, there was a woman who had come with a little child. Her name was Esther Axe, A-K-S. And I'll tell you why I, I, I tell you this in a moment. Leah, I'm sorry, Leah Axe. And um, what happened was that uh, she had come, she was married to a fellow from Germany. She lived in England, and then he wanted to move to America, and he decided that he was going to go, but she was expecting. So her parents said, I'm sorry, you cannot uh, travel when you're expecting. I want you to, you'll, your husband will go to America. He moved to Virginia, and um, he... Uh, 
was waiting for her. She had the baby, and a few months later, they came to travel. And the family was a well-to-do family, and they bought her a ticket in the first passenger cabin. But she was not allowed to board the first passenger cabin because she had a baby. And the people in the first cabin, they didn't want to be hear a baby cry at night and in the dining room, right. so she had to be in the third passenger cabin. So now here this woman is in the third passenger um, area of the boat, and one night, as everybody knows, in the middle of the night, it hit the iceberg, and there's tremendous, tremendous panic on the boat. And what happens is that it's so amazing, this story, because the haughtiness of the people who built the Titanic, they were so convinced, they advertised this was the boat that even God couldn't sink. And they did not have enough lifeboats. There were over 2,200 people on the boat, and they only had 1,400 lifeboats, because they never imagined that anything could happen. What happened was that they announced that only women and children would be saved first. They would be right. going down to the, um, to the uh, lifeboats. And there was a man who snuck down, and they took him off that lifeboat. And he snuck down again, and he came back onto this boat, and he was in a rage and in a fury. And this woman was stuck in the third passenger cabin. The sailors had lifted her up, and the richest woman, Madeline Astor, saw this woman with the baby. She took off an eight-foot shawl that she had, a long, beautiful shawl, and she said, here, wrap the baby. Now, this part of the story is impossible to believe, but I'll tell you where to look it up. You could look it up in a second, in uh, encyclopediatitanica.com. Encyclopediatitanica.com. That's where it's at. And what happened was that this man, in a rage, because he knew that he was going to die himself, because there were not enough lifeboats, this woman was standing ready to get off the boat, the Titanic, and to go on a lifeboat, and he took the baby, and he literally threw the baby overboard. Really? In a panic, in a rage. Unbelievable. And she never started screaming and yelling. And the people said to her, you've got to get off the boat. You've got to save your own life. And, and she, was, she didn't want to go, but they forced it, and she was on the lifeboat. And the next morning, the Carpathia, that was the boat that the, the ocean liner that came to save all those people that were on the lifeboats. And they right. took this woman off. The next morning or a day after, she was on the boat and she sees a woman holding her baby. And she yells. The child was already about nine, ten months old. And she yells towards the child and the child opens up its arms and wants to go to the mother. What happened was that there was a whole argument. This woman had caught the child. She was in a lifeboat. And she thought it was her God-given mission that really? she has to raise this child as a Catholic child, as a Christian child. And she would not give up this baby. And finally, there was this tremendous argument. And the captain of the Carpathia said, you know, how could anybody prove whose child it is? And she said, I can prove it. And she said, how could you prove it? He said, take a look. He's circumcised. He had a bris. And they opened up the diaper, and they saw the child had a bris, and they gave her back a baby. Unbelievable. And that's how she got her baby. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I spoke to the wife, this boy, this Frankie, a frying official was his name. He was a Shemesh Shabbos. He walked for miles to shul when he was a kid. Very interesting. And, and well, that's how she got the child. Robert Cohen, thank you very much. If anybody should want to get in touch with you, can you give us a phone number? 718-846-6900. Again, 718-846-6900. My name is Robert Pesach. Grown. I'm thrilled to send any information to anybody <laughs> okay. who's expecting a child. Well, it's, and, a, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Me, I'll be happy to come. Thank you very much. I appreciate pleasure. your time. Thank you. And I just want to give a message to everybody out there. If you have the opportunity to perform a circumcision on your son, if you have it already, do it. If you are having a child in the future, think seriously about it. It's a beautiful custom. And remember, it's a covenant. It's more than just an act of a physical 
operation. It's more than just a ritual. It's an actual connection which is made between an individual human being with God Almighty. It's a beautiful tradition, just like all of our traditions are, and it's a tradition which you should consider very, very strongly. And I hope that you will really do a mitzvah because this is the greatest mitzvah you could perform for your child if you haven't already. In the meantime, take care. Do lots of mitzvahs. Make the world a better place. Do whatever you can to make your community and your family a happy one, a healthy one, a Jewish one. Take care. Sim, 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 sim,